You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. In this town, there is no off-season. The news never stops, and neither do we. It's always game day in Cleveland with Andy Baskin and Daryl Leiter. It's always game day in Cleveland, and we are brought to you locally by Smiley, by Bryant and Smiley One, I should say. The right choice for your comfort. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. Daryl, it has been uh, just a very, very interesting week uh, across the NFL as we, you know, we try to pick up the pieces from Monday night. And the last time we had talked, uh, was before the Monday night game, and I know we were both really looking forward to watching uh, the Bengals and Bills play. And then right there in the first quarter, um, Demar Hamlin gets you know uh, collapses on the field, and the next thing you know, uh, the whole NFL world has been turned upside down. And I know we are all sitting here uh, waiting for more news out of Cincinnati uh, and hoping and and praying along with everyone else that he can make some kind of recovery uh, after a horrific event on Saturday night where he collapsed. Daryl, let's start there because we haven't talked about this at all. So I'm um, just curious your thoughts and, you know, there's just a lot to take in when it comes to this story. Yeah, um, just a, a horrific scene in Cincinnati uh, Monday night, um, just, you know, watching it on television, um, something that you just, you never imagined that you're going to see. Um, I, I can't imagine right now being an NFL player after watching that happen um, because the play itself was an ordinary play that we see a hundred times a week. And um, the moment I saw Hamlin collapse to the field, just because of my basic general medical knowledge, I knew that something serious was about to happen that he could be in, in, in dire straits. And unfortunately, my worst fears there were realized. Um, it was interesting talking to Charlie Hewlett, who is the Browns NFL PA representative. He represents the Browns uh, on behalf of the players within the locker room and, and talking to him. And I thought he made a really good point. And that was that of all, if there was ever a place for that to happen to Hamlin, which he had the, the, you know, the cardiac uh, arrest, it, w- it was at, at an NFL game because of the care that was immediately available to him. And as he said, that ultimately saved his life, that they, those, those doctors and those uh, specialists were able to get to him as quickly as they did and to work on him. But to think about a player having to be revived on a football field, Andy, uh, the way Hamlin was is is still just incomprehensible to me and um it 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 was difficult being in the browns locker room on wednesday 
you know, we're there to obviously ask questions about the upcoming game, which is obviously against the Steelers. But that just that takes it takes a backseat to what to what's going on. Um, and um, even David Njoku, you know, he was asked about the the Browns rivalry and the the opportunity to to kick the Steelers out of the playoffs. And he said, yeah, it is a rivalry game and we always look forward to it. But um, I'm thinking about Hamlin and, and how he is doing and players in that locker room, players across locker rooms throughout the national football league have been on their phones, checking their phones uh, hour by hour uh, for updates on his health, praying, hoping, praying that, not only is he going to be okay, but that he, you know, he's going to be able to to recover from this, and that's really where you know the the focus and the attention is. So it, from my position, it's really awkward because there's this big story that affects these players on a human level, but then they're supposed to play a game Sunday in Pittsburgh, in which the stakes are pretty high. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna double back here a second. Just something that you said early on. There is a doctor, Doctor David Chow, and he writes for um, Sports Injury Central. And I, I got to tell you, I didn't sleep Monday night. I watched the whole thing live, and um, personally, it's it's uh, it's been kind of tough the last couple of days. And I'll get back into that in a second. But I did think this was. Um, uh, for people that were wanting to rip the NFL afterwards, I, I, I want them to hear what he wrote. Again, this is a doctor who writes for uh, a website known as Sports Injury Central. And he said, other than in a hospital, there's no better place to collapse than on an NFL field. Over two dozen medical professionals, including emergency medical personnel and equipment are present. The home team plays an important role in emergency care and support for the visiting team. That is the norm, but the Bengals medical staff should be congratulated. All home teams drill for this annually. In addition, emergency medical personnel and medical staff from both teams meet pregame to go over any last-minute information in preparation, just anything might happen. So, uh, And then there's even more. The nine minutes of CPR undoubtedly saved his life. The heart attack was likely caused by uh, a cardiac contusion uh, with uh, potential commotion commodus cords which I, I think that's what it says uh the aed external defibrillators were there and uh they routinely are on both nfl sidelines and even brought on the plane and the bus with the team the defibrillation def, defib is what you just call it uh happened on the field to convert hamlin's rhythm to allow his heart to beat again that cordis is what they're talking about leading to a heart attack has significant mortality rate uh, with the witness, uh, with witnessed arrest and immediate care, Hamlin seemed to be headed for a positive direction. Um, you know, and, and this I always thought was interesting too because I never knew this about games. Right, the a nearby trauma center is always designated prior to the game yes. and is on and standby they, during NFL games. I don't yes. think most people know that. Not only that, but so the 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 drill as part of the drill is the route to that trauma center that the ambulance will take with a police escort. Now, um, the NFL, and I thought this was really good, they, re they released this um, on Tuesday. Okay. 
Here is the medical care and the medical experts on hand. You have four athletic trainers, okay? Right. You have uh, uh, an, an unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant, right. two primary care physicians, a chiropractor, two orthopedists, two independent athletic trainers, a visiting team medical liaison, one airway management physician. That is basically somebody that can intubate on site so right. that to, to get a player to breathe, which unfortunately that was part of the treatment that Hamlin required. An unaffiliated neurotrauma uh, consultant, e, two EMTs, uh, paramedic crews. Um, they have a dentist, uh, a radiology technician for X-rays. Uh, they have an uh, a specialist in case someone gets you know poke, has an eye injury. Right. They have so they the best medical care. It's a dangerous sport, of course. But the best, immediate, most immediate medical care is available. And again, that ultimately, I believe, and uh, I, I reference what you know Charlotte Hewlett and I talked about. Like, yeah, I want to get more into that in a second here too. I, I think that that honestly saved this young man's life. I, I I saw something today. I guess there was an incident in 1971 in Detroit. In Detroit, where a player actually ended up dying, uh, similar circumstances, and I guess like ten minutes after they, they went removed right back on the field, um, there was an incident with the Blue Jackets and um, the Dallas Stars, which I think was in fourteen. Same situation. Um, uh, they shocked him back. Uh, the player for the Stars was shocked back in the hallway. And he came back too and wanted to go back and play, which is just insane. Um, but pro athletes know, are wired different. I tell people yeah. all the time that I, they, I do want they to read this this wired. one other part before we go to break, real quick. And because I thought this was interesting too, that because I think there were a lot of people that were questioning how slow the ambulance was moving when it left the field. There's a reason that, for that. there is. An, yeah, there, let me explain there, that to you. There is a medical reason for that. Go ahead. Okay, and so this is again from that uh, article that I was reading earlier. Uh, the ambulance was not slow moving to transport Hamlin. It is normal to stabilize before transport. It is unsafe to proceed with an unstable patient. There were more medical personnel on the field than could fit in the ambulance, plus all the medications, the oxygen, and life-saving supplies needed, meaning there was no reason to move him to the hospital until it was safe and uh, double down on the 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 most safe place for him to be was on the field at that point. Daryl, we, we got a lot more to talk about. We're going to come back in another segment here and talk uh, more about this. We will get into the Browns and Steelers as well. It's always game day in Cleveland. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. If you like what you're listening to, download the podcast. It's always game day in Cleveland, brought to you locally by our good friends at Bryant and Smiley One, the right choice for your comfort. Again, he's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. If you like what you're listening to, again, not only download the podcast, but you can subscribe to the podcast too. And you can always be a part of the podcast if you want to hit us up on social media at Game Day CLE on both Twitter and Instagram. All right. So, you know, we spent a little bit of time getting into, you know, the Hamlin story and, and how it affected, you know, people on Monday night. The league is still trying to kick around on what they'll do next. But um, you had a chance to sit down with, uh, the NFLPA rep for the Browns, Charlie Hewlett, and you spent significant time with him today, which is actually Wednesday. Um, and and what did he have to say about the situation? 
Yeah, you know, um, what's interesting is that, or what was interesting to me, because there's a lot of conversation uh, and speculation out there about what the NFL was going to do for Week 18. Right now, as we have this discussion right now, they are playing Sunday. Kevin Stefanski said in his press conference basically exactly what Charlie Hewlett had said to me, that as of now, there are no plans to uh, uh, make any adjustments to the Week 18 uh, schedule. Um, but everybody is still waiting for some good news uh, when it comes to medical updates uh, with uh, DeMar Hamlin. And it was good to hear uh, from the Bills uh, Wednesday afternoon. Um, they provided an update, and they and they did mention that um, there have been some positive signs. I believe was the phrasing that they used in their uh, in their most recent medical update. So that's good. But he is still in critical condition. He is still in the intensive care unit, which means, in layman's terms, he's not out of the woods yet. And, um, you know, I, 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 I tweeted it multiple times Monday night. Uh, you know, I think it's wonderful how many people have donated to the, the GoFundMe for the toy drive or whatever. It's like over 6 million bucks. He was looking just to raise $2,500. Um, you know, a, a lot of Browns players, uh, in it, you know, not just Charlie Hewlett, but a lot of Browns players on Wednesday just talk about, you know, all, you know, all we can do is pray. Pray for him, pray for his family, pray for a speedy recovery, pray that he's going to be okay, uh, pray that he's able to to live a, a, a normal life when he uh, comes out of this. And um, and that's, you know, almost a helpless feeling because so many people want to help. And they're, they're, they're uh, aside from those wonderful medical professionals at that hospital in Cincinnati, there, there's nothing anyone else really can, can do, uh, other than to be, uh, supportive and, and, and pray for him and, and pray for his recovery. Um, but you know, uh, Hewlett is in the position where, you know, obviously teammates go to him. He's the point person, uh, as the NFLPA rep. So he gets the news coming down from the players association and in his job to help convey the, the messages, uh, to his teammates within the locker room. Conversely, if there are concerns or whatnot, uh, within the Browns locker room, not, not, not just related to this, but just in, in any situation, you know, you know, part of, of uh, Charlie's responsibilities is to convey that up the food chain, um, as well. But I did find it interesting that uh, he made it very clear to say, Hey, I, I am not, I have no input on anything, even as, as a player rep, it's, it's the players association and, uh, the league that puts their heads together and, and figures out how, uh, to proceed. And then when my input is asked for, then yeah, obviously, uh, I, I would give that, but, um, so it, it is an interesting, um, dynamic. Uh, I thought David Njoku, um, you know, he said no players on the Browns have, um, said they don't want to play on Sunday. There's no like, you know, pro cause that's the other part of this too. It's like, again, pro athletes, they're, they're conditioned, uh, to deal with injuries, right? Guys get hurt all the time. We've seen ambulances on the field. Most of the time when we see an, in fact, the vast majority of the time when we see an ambulance on the field or we see a player get carted off or wheeled off on a stretcher, 
we see the thumbs up from them and the, and the, and the crowd giving a standing ovation and support. And the only thing we saw Monday night was tears streaming down the faces of Bill's players. And, and that was heartbreaking to see. So there's a tremendous human element and, and that incident Monday night was a reminder that yes, these guys are modern gladiators. Uh, they play a very violent sport. They're paid handsomely to do it. They sign up to do it, but there is risk when they take the field. Every single player that takes the field, it could be their last time on a football field. That's just the reality that they that they deal with. And um, it's a reminder to me. It's a reminder to a lot of fans. These are human beings. They are fathers. They are sons. They are brothers, uncles. They have moms and dads and wives and girlfriends and kids, aunts and uncles, et cetera, on and on and on. Um, and in our world that we live in, um, and I get it because I'm guilty of it too. I do it. Uh, you do it. It's part of our job, you know, critiquing things and criticizing things. And if a guy doesn't play well, we rip the guy or slam the guy and, and whatnot. But it's just, it's a reminder that these guys are human beings. And the most important thing is that they leave the field healthy. The competition is secondary. It really is. So let me, uh, let me just touch on a couple of things here. One, I do think this is a good time that people kind of get themselves familiar with a thing called Lindsay's Law, which is here in in Ohio, that every high school coach that wants to participate at any level, uh, you have to take Lindsay's Law, which is a, a test that goes back to a story of an athlete that whose life was saved because of those EKG paddles that were at the school and that they knew to, to do it. And it's... Um, I, I think it's also a reminder to everyone that if you're ever in a situation where you see that uh, CPR is needed and, you know, get on the phone with 911 immediately and make sure you know how, those EKG paddles are extremely easy to use. In fact, they tell you it's got a computer generated voice that will tell you exactly everything to do to walk you through it. But to understand how to use those paddles is it, is extremely important. And I don't think that people realize how many times you walk by those paddles every day. They are all over the place, especially yeah, you when you're at a school. Um, uh, Ryan Isley, who covers a lot of high school sports here in Northeast Ohio, right. he actually uh, posted uh, a photo. He was uh, he's covering a, a high school game Wednesday night. He posted a photo of the defibrillator uh, sitting there on there, yeah. ne next to the team bench. Um, you're 100% right. It is a life-saving device. And, um, I, my dad was a baseball coach and I remember he, uh, had to take the, the CPR training. Yeah. Everyone's got to take CPR all, and everyone's got to take of those, law. Medical, all the emer medical emergency training. They, right. You know, uh, I, I remember he had to take those classes and, and that, um, but yeah, it's, it, that's an important detail that you mentioned. So I, I just want to touch on this before we get to the last segment, we talk about the game coming up on Sunday that it, you know, it is, um, <clears throat> it's been a really hard and I think difficult week for a lot of people. And it's not, it, it's because what happened um, touches people in the heart right away. And, and I'd say that heart at meaning love and, and understanding and, and how you feel when you see someone who is um, 
uh, in critical condition. And like, I've been up a lot over the last couple of days. I, I was glued to the TV all night to see what was happening. And unfortunately, I wish I didn't know some of the things that I do know based on um, my relationship with LifeBank and uh, my brother's, uh, my brother was in critical care for three months um, after a lung transfer, after a double lung. And I mean, it's not very hard for me to close my eyes and think about the Hamlin family and where they're sitting right now. And they're sitting in a room, you know, with their son or their cousin or, you know, their, their relative or whoever's, you know, in the room with him, um, just sitting there holding his hand probably and watching the machines and you watch the EKG machine and you just, you watch the beep, beep, beep. And then all of a sudden you're asking what kind of medicines are they putting them on and you're living, uh, you know, it's not, you know, the best way to live life. I think sometimes is, is one day at a time, but when you are with a critical care patient, um, you're living one moment at a time and uh, you sit there and you wait and you want answers and uh, you, you just don't get them. They, they're just not there. Time is the only answer. And so I, I, it is, uh, it's just been in the back of my mind the whole time. And it, it's just, it takes anybody who's, I mean, it's not, I'm just, I'm sharing my story, but it's anyone that has ever been with a loved one in that situation in, in critical care or ICU uh, relives the moment when you see someone, especially you're not used to seeing it on TV. And, you know, it, it, I, I think I wrote about it this week um, in my column, just that it's, it's a tidal wave of emotion that starts at the 50 yard line in Cincinnati and works its way all the way around the world because it's another reminder about mental health and, you know, people keep saying, well, why is this, you know, you talked about the Lions incident where they, I mean, they, uh, I heard Jeff told me the story today because Michael Reagan was there as a kid. They put him on a stretcher and then they finished the game. And I, I just, it's, it's not right. What they did the other night was right. They got it right. You know, I know people might've been irritated when they said they're going to get five minutes to warm up, but I, I gotta be honest. I think that's, that's probably that for people too. Like is that, that, I don't know that that was true or not either. Well, but that's part. So, um, that's part of the just the general protocol when you're talking about a player that is, receives extended medical attention on the field where the game has to be delayed while that's going on. It's just part of the the standard protocol and operations of a game, right? And so when that, and and so when I think it was Joe Buck or or Troy Aikman, I can't remember who mentioned that on the air, uh, the broadcast. And I'm guilty of that. And I actually went back and I deleted the tweet because ultimately it wasn't fair because I tweeted, you know, I'm still stuck on this whole five minute thing. Get out there and play. Right. Happened. And that and, and it wasn't it was there was no heartless edict from the league office that said, you know, five minute warm up here, go out and play like. Also, I don't believe the actual officiating crew understood the severity until once they got him it stabilized, got him up and into that ambulance. And then once the ambulance left the field, the officials found out how serious it was. And then that was it. The coaches, the coaches had gotten together, right? Uh, you know, Zach and McDermott, they got together and they basically said, yeah, we're, 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 we're done. We're, 
yeah, we're done. I, I, like uh, at the, the so, moment, I think people need to understand that because it's easy to act like I look. I get it. I do it all the time, right? The NFL is big business. There's nothing that stops the NFL. Blah blah blah. Right? It prints money, all that. Um, the commissioner did the right thing. And the other thing, too, is there's fact-finding that has to go on, too, right? right. I mean, the, the league officials and representatives there, that are in the stadium, I mean, there are processes here that do take time. The NFLPA is also involved in that, too. Right. That's why, you and, know, like... So it, I don't feel like now that I have all the, the facts and the information, under no circumstances do I feel that the NFL was insensitive or that the NFL took what happened lightly or were not respectful to what happened uh, on the field. I think that they handled it as best as they could, considering those circumstances, which were unique. And again, a tip of the cap to Zach Taylor, a tip of the cap to the Cincinnati Bengals for how for their role and their involvement in helping uh, assist the Buffalo Bills with dealing with ultimately what was a, a, a just a, an unprecedented uh, situation that you you just you it's your worst nightmare you never ever want to see that ever more of it's always game day in cleveland coming up after this it's always game day in cleveland we're going to switch gears and start talking about some other stuff that's going on with the browns especially with their game at one o'clock against one o'clock against pittsburgh coming up on sunday but first good news for joe thomas uh he is a finalist for the pro football hall of fame um, not shocked, not surprised by that, and very excited for Joe. Uh, your thoughts, Daryl? Yeah, you know, um, man, he, he had a tough time here in Cleveland. Let, let's be honest about it. Not him personally, but professionally. It was not an easy play. It was not an easy career for him. He played through so much and so many injuries. He's going to be a, I, I feel confident. I don't want to jinx him, but I have a feeling this is the year of Joe Thomas. I have a feeling that the Cleveland Browns will play in the Hall of Fame game in Canton, Ohio, and um, just what he went through. And listening to him talk on NFL Network Wednesday night, and he said, yeah, you know, I get it. People say he didn't make the playoffs and didn't play on winning teams, and that he goes, but look at the guys I block for. <laughs> look at all those quarterbacks. Like, they're not exactly Hall of Famers, and it's easy to block for Tom Brady all the time, but try blocking for three and four, five, six different guys a year and having six and seven head coaches and 20 offensive coordinators and this, that, and the other. Uh, and, and so I, I'm happy for him. It's it's well-deserved. Uh, again, I think he's going to get in on the on the first ballot. But this this is the year of Joe Thomas. This is the year of 73, right? Uh, the Browns are going to retire his number, I think, someday uh, in the coming years here uh, after he gets his gold jacket and his bust rests in uh, in the hallowed halls down in Canton, Ohio. But, um, yeah, he went through – he had every reason to give up. Like, you know, we, we, we spent a lot of this podcast talking about the human element. Let's talk about the human element for Joe Thomas. All the quarterbacks, all the turnover, uh, tur turnover in the building and the turmoil and and that and and if there was ever a dude that could just say you know bleep this it was Joe Thomas right nobody would have begrudged him having to miss season finales because he was just so beat up from the season and needed to get surgery or whatever in the off you know off season surgery to to fix all the the, the problems he played through and he never did and not only did he show up every Sunday Andy 
with those injuries, he was the best in the business. Like, that's the thing. Not only did he play hurt, not only did he play for a 1,000 quarterbacks, not only did he play for a crappy organization and on terrible teams, he was the best in the business at his position. And that's a Hall of Famer to me. It really is. It's it's easy to look at a guy's resume and count Pro Bowls, all pros, Super Bowl championships and stuff like that. But when you actually look at the nitty-gritty of Joe Thomas's career here with the Cleveland Browns, you're damn right he's a Hall of Famer. Daryl, I'm just think, trying to think. Uh, um, Joe Lamalure, the last Brown? I'm trying Offensive to think of yeah, no, I'm trying to think of the oh, last you know, player from the Cleveland Browns to beat. Yeah. Um, I think it might have been him. And, I mean, let's be honest. It's not like his whole career was played in Cleveland. You know, I mean, look, I, you know, one of my criticisms of the Browns is I don't feel like they did enough to help Clay Matthews get in. I, I, I just, I don't feel like that. It's still they out really, there. There's, a, I mean, he still has I, a chance to get in, right? He has a chance, but he should have gotten in through the right, you know, through the regular route. Um, but, um, Wait, actually, I'm just trying Max, to remember, did Ozzy get in Max, before? No, it, was, it was Max Speedy. Max Speedy. Oh, it was went. Max Speedy. Okay. Yeah. Posthumous. Um, he was in the class of 2020. And what year was Warfield? Or not Warfield. Um, Ozzy Newsom. Ozzy's been in. For yeah. Ozzy went in. Yeah, Ozzy. I'm trying to remember what year Ozzy went in. I just looked it up real quick. Um, hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, it's just it's so weird when you look at the list, Daryl, of how the last 30 years are just missing. You know that you would think some. I'm I, like the the Browns have 17 members in the Hall of Fame. It's the six highest. Let's put this way: since 1999, the Baltimore Ravens have a hell of a lot more Hall of Famers than the Browns do since 99. Fair enough. That's a fair. That's a fair point. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And in fact, those Ravens owe the Browns a big old Mwah, thank you and bouquets of flowers for the fact that they are Hall of Famers. <laughs> At least there's one Baltimore Raven who's not in the Hall of Fame. Well, yes, that's true. That, yeah, that, so um, I, I do. I'm glad he's in, he's. I'm glad he's a, a finalist here. And like I said, my my gut feels pretty good about his uh, his chances. Forty nine members. We'll, uh, a 49-member committee will get together uh, Super Bowl weekend in Phoenix, right? That's where they're playing the Super Bowl this year. Um, yeah, we were LA last year, Phoenix this year. Yeah, they they will get together, and the, the presentations will be made for each of those uh, 15 finalists uh, by the respective uh, leads in their markets, uh, football writers, and, um, and then, you know, they'll vote. And I do think that when it's all said and done, um, Joe Thomas will be one of the uh, one of the one of those introduced during NFL honors. Remember, they unveil the right. Hall of Famers at NFL honors uh, the night before the Super Bowl. Oh, that'd be great. I hope he's there, um, Daryl. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and I think what we'll do is we'll, um, you know, I, I just before we go, I just want to touch on one more thing. Um, the Steelers obviously this Sunday, and I, we had a phone call today that just really irked me. Just some guy who called up and said uh, he would call himself Mister uh, Pittsbuke or something. I can't remember what he called himself, and he said uh, 
Well, you know, the Steelers, this one's in hand. It's easy. They're going to win it because they've got all the momentum. They want to be in the playoffs. The Browns have nothing to play for. And I was like, I don't know. It's the first time since 88 the Browns have had a chance to sweep the Steelers. Do the Browns really want to finish the season in last place? Um, I do think there are a lot of things on the line for this team on Sunday. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing how much, you know, how much they can put into this game. I want them to win this game badly. I mean, it's it's our Super Bowl. It's the end of the year. This is it. We're done. So you might as well leave it all on the field on Sunday. And I really hope that the Browns don't go out there and go, well, you know, what season's over, no big deal. I, I'm just praying that doesn't happen. They haven't done it yet. And um, right. they thoroughly enjoyed eliminating the Washington Commanders. So if you think they enjoyed that, I got news for the Steelers. They're really gonna they're really gonna enjoy ending your season too, um, and not finishing in in last place because the the winner of this game finishes in third place in the division. The loser uh, finishes in last, even though they'll have the same records. Um, you know, if the Steelers win, obviously they will have the better record. But if the Browns win, they'll tie. They'll uh, both teams will be eight and nine, but the Browns get the tiebreaker. Uh, by virtue of the sweep that you mentioned has not occurred since 1988. Uh, I'm no math expert, but I know that, holy crap, that was a long time ago. Um, I, I, I was effort, just out of high school. Effort, not. I wasn't even in high school in, in 88. Um, and I'm in my mid-40s. But they. Uh, I don't think effort's going to be a problem. It, it has an effort hit, look, effort. I never question effort. That's that's one of my pet peeves uh, in our business is when people want to question players' efforts. Um, you can question execution. You can question physical and mental mistakes. I, it's one thing I will never do is question a professional athlete's effort. Um, and... Um, I, I think that they're going to want to go to Pittsburgh and they're going to they're going to want to end the Steelers season. I have no doubts in my mind. And and yeah, you're right. This is it. This is what the Browns have to play for. This is a feather in their cap, the opportunity. And this is what makes this this is what can make this rivalry a rivalry again. Right. Go back to 2020 when the Browns beat the Steelers to, you know, get in the playoffs uh, and then beating the Steelers the the following week in the you know in the playoffs uh in Pittsburgh I know it was a COVID year but to to really get that off their back um to play meaningful games like that's why Steelers Ravens is now the mo one of the most intense rivalries in the National Football League because you play meaningful games and it, you know, this is a meaningful game for the Steelers. They have to beat the Browns. If they don't beat the Browns, they're they're done. They're cooked. And even if they beat the Browns, they have to sit and wait and hope and pray a couple of things go their way uh, to get in. But um, yeah, th this has uh, th this could spice up the rivalry again if the Browns can knock them out of the playoffs. Because for years and years, and understandably so. Hard for the Steelers to take the Browns seriously, right? Because they just have, you know, for many years dominated um, during those lean years of the Browns this series. But the Browns have come back in recent years and been very, very competitive, won some important games. So another opportunity to wait. I am not worried about effort on Sunday. I, I'm just, you know, hoping that it's an entertaining, good, clean football game. 
Hope you're right. And we'll talk about it after the game on Sunday. It'll be our final post-game edition of the season. It'll be the Browns and Steelers, and we'll talk about it on It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. We'll do that Sunday night. For Meredith Kane, our producer, he's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. If you like what you're listening to, subscribe to the show. If you want to be a part of the show, hit us up on social media at GameDayCLE on both Instagram and Twitter. It's always game day in Cleveland.